0: Building up godly men for a better tomorrow. This is On the Edge with Ken Harrison, where we inspire men of integrity to put faith into action together. Just before we get into today's episode, we'd like to invite you to subscribe to our weekly devotional group. Just text the two words Promise Keepers to 31996. Every week, you'll receive a challenging devotional that will inspire you to put your faith into action in the real world. Again, text Promise Keepers to 31996.
1: On today's program, Ken speaks with Dennis Rainey, founder of Family Life, best-selling author, and popular speaker for the Promise Keepers Stadium events. Let's join Ken and Dennis now.
2: Yeah, we want to talk about a bunch of different stuff. If you want to get stuff right, if you want to have unity in the country, you got to start with marriages. you got to start with being one with your spouse before you can start being one with everybody else.
3: Yeah. In fact, I think, uh, Ken, if we want to see our country go forward in strength, it's going to demand a lot of courageous men stepping up. Every home is headed by a man who needs to fully discharge his duties to love and honor and lead and serve his family, his wife. And, uh, I think it starts there, but I think it goes beyond that and spills out into the community and across the nation. So this is a great time to be alive, but it's a challenging time too.
2: So you're gonna tell us the five secrets of marriage in a little bit. But first, we gotta hear your bear trap story. Uh, because I, I still find this hard to believe. I've heard this like three times, once from you, and uh you gotta tell us about about your bear trap story.
3: Well, I'm getting chill bumps even now because. Well, I used to teach a sixth grade Sunday school class, and I started with uh, 12 sixth graders. One of them was my daughter, and I taught it for the next 11 years, and I had 550 kids go through my class. And after you've taught something 11 times, you kind of begin to refine your messages. And so basically what I developed were uh, the traps that teenagers have to face as they go through adolescence to grow up into becoming a man or a woman. And I actually got traps, uh, a muskrat trap, a beaver trap, a rat trap, but also found through the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission a bear trap, an antique bear trap. And uh, the different traps represented different things, and I decided the bear trap, when we set it, we would actually set it for the last class, uh, in the, usually in May for that class, and uh, it took three men to set it. Wow. And there was there was sixty five seventy kids, and I, I I'll tell you, I'm just glad none of them fell into any of these traps as many times as I taught it because they were real traps, and they knew that, and the bear trap was uh, was sexual immorality, so I taught it and and I decided i would I would end the class in a certain way, and it was such a hit with the class, the way I ended it. When I had a chance to speak at Mile High Stadium to uh, about 50,000 guys with a bunch of young young men there as well, I actually spoke on the traps and had them set out on the stage. And uh, to illustrate the last point I had, uh, the importance of dads and fathers and grandfathers are to their, their kids and their grandkids. I had one of the, the young men come up and, He stood on the far side of the stage, and his father and I stood on the other side of the stage, and all these traps were scattered. There was pornography, there was drugs, there was alcohol, there was peer pressure, on and on and on. We had like a dozen traps out there. But right in front of that young man, about three steps forward, was that bear trap. And we had it set, and uh, I turned to the men in, in the stadium, and I said, what we're illustrating here is the danger that young people have as they move from boyhood and childhood and adolescence to adulthood. They've got to deal with all these traps, and and so I want to just illustrate how I think it ought to occur uh, by asking the young man whose name I believe it was uh, maybe I think his dad's name was Tom, and I'll call him Andrew. But I said, Andrew, to illustrate how vulnerable young men are, uh, I want you to take off your shoes, and um, next we're going to put a blindfold on you. Now uh, you could just kind of sense in that stadium, guys were kind of leaning forward, like, "Are you kidding me?" And uh, I said, on the count of three. Now I'd, I'd coached him; he knew what he was supposed to do. His dad knew what he was supposed to do, but I said, on the count of on the count of three, I want you to come to your dad and me into manhood and maturity. One, two, three. And Andrew took a step and as he was about to take the second step, his dad grabbed the microphone from him and said, stop Andrew, I'll be right there. And it was like somebody sucked the air out of that Mile High Stadium because that dad went all the way through those traps and walked over to his son. And he put his son's hands on his back. And I'm getting emotional now because I think it's even more, it's even more true today than it was 20 years ago when we did this. But he said, son, stick close because these traps are real and they're set for you. And he began to shuffle along all the way through these traps. And as he got near the the side where I was, Some guy of a mile high stadium, I don't know where he was up there. And that whole stadium began to erupt. And um, I was, of course, I've been leading this in a Sunday school class that had 60 young people and maybe 100 parents that would come for the last class when I did this. I was unprepared for that. And uh, by the time they finished and were hugging each other on the other side, I was sitting back thinking about that later. And I thought, what What was it? What was taking place there? And, and Ken, I, I think what, what men are looking for today is the coaching and the, the encouragement to be a, a courageous man and get into the hard stuff that we need to be dealing with with our youth today. And I think they looked at that happening and probably some look back at fathers who did that for them. But I'd say most had fathers who didn't do anything for them. I just, I, I, I've reflected back on that many, many times because we have a generation today that is on the line. And, and if you look at the traps being set today, they are really dangerous. I mean, suicide is skyrocketing with all the sexual identity issues that are that are in play today and uh, additional issues that have been piled off onto the ones I had back then. And I think if there's ever been a time when dads need to be dads, grandfathers, need to be grandfathers and engage with their sons and grandsons around the issues of today and shoot straight and not let their own fear Uh, cause them to, to recoil and retreat. This is not a time for retreat. I think the most powerful unit in our nation is the family. And the most powerful pair to lead that family is a dad and a mom lockstep together in raising those young people. And I'm thrilled to hear promise keepers back on the field calling men to step up building marriages because that, that's the first step. You got you gotta have a strong marriage if are gonna do this right.
2: As you um, help your kids around those traps, they'll always be really grateful and, and know that those traps are there and, and you'll be really popular, right?
3: I wasn't I wasn't going to show this to the guys but I'm gonna explain it and then I'll go show the guys this. I told my daughters when I took them on dates, when they were four years old, five years old, all the way up to the edge of the preteen years. I took them out on a date and taught them how a young lady ought to expect a young man to treat them. And some of my daughters stayed in the car because the young man didn't come around and open the door. <laughs> the young man just walked off into the movie theater. And, Where is she, you know? But one of the things I did that I'll tell you, I have no regret. It was, I interviewed the young men who took my four daughters out? And I think I interviewed like thirty young men. You can actually scratch that. I interviewed twenty-nine. One of them fainted in my my living room when I interviewed him before he got to go out on. Wow. My daughter. But I want to show you what a guy. It's just. A, it'll just take me five seconds to walk over to my office and get it. What one guy gave me as a symbol, and uh, i have not. I never showed it at the at the stadium events because. There's a lot of wrong ways this can be interpreted, and this has nothing to do, trust me, nothing to do with violence, but everything to do with protecting our daughters. I'll be right back. (laughs) This guy had a baseball bat made for me, and I'd have about a 30 to 45-minute discussion with these guys about how they're... How they were, what they were going to do on the date, where they'd go, what time they'd be in. And I talked to him about a young man's sex drive, that I knew what that was like. I'd been one one time, and that I really wanted him to keep that in check and respect my daughter. And um, I think that led a friend of mine to create this ball bat. And you can't really see it there, but there's some boys who signed it at the end. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wish I'd used it all the way through with all of them. but. uh You can read that. See what it says?
2: The respect her.
3: Yeah, the respect her. Ah, I like it. Yeah. I like it. I had one dad who interviewed his daughter's dates. He he was a fireman. And uh, he sent a fire extinguisher on the date with her when she went out with the guy. And he made sure it was sitting in the front seat between the two of them. And he talked to that young man about not not starting any fires as uh, they took a date. So there's a lot of creative things you can do with that, but, but it, it, it's not violence, not a matter of violence or intimidation. It is about speaking straight to the next generation and go, you know, what's your, you're, you're going to go out with my daughter and and whether it's for two hours or a Coke date for 30 minutes, I want you to treat her with nobility, mm. respecting her femininity. And I don't want you to trash her. I don't, she's somebody else's, more than likely, somebody else's wife. And uh, uh, you don't want to spoil that for her husband when when they get together. So I'll I tell you, honestly, Ken, it was one of my favorite things about being a dad was talking to these guys. And uh, I wrote a little book called uh, Interviewing Your Daughter's Date. And then I morphed it. I haven't written this book. I'm going to write it, though it's six talks to have with your future son-in-law who's come to ask you for your daughter's hand in marriage. And so what I told the young men, I said, well, you can't have the hand yet. Uh, or you, you can ask her to marry you, but you can't have the hand or the rest of her until you meet with me. And I've got six little talks we we're going to have. And at the end, my, my little 30 minute talks had, uh, had blossomed into two-hour conversations, uh, which was nitty-gritty. It was it was an older man to a younger man about how to love a young uh, young woman, how to uh, deny himself, how to know how to uh, stoke her abilities and talents and gifts after they're married, and and then about having sex on the honeymoon night. And uh, I'll tell you what, if you can have that conversation with a young man, you're going to you're going to have your heart knit, knit together. And it's a great way to start a relationship with a young man who's going to be in your family. So I just think the, the dads who want to be dads, grandfathers who want to be grandfathers, lots of opportunities here to invest in the next generation. They're a great privilege, too.
2: You did it much more completely than I did it with my son in law. I just got down to the point and said, if you ever abused my daughter, I'd kill him. But I think yours was probably a little more complete instruction than mine. Although both were effective.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's the key is it needs to be effective. But, uh, yeah, you think about the investments, it's 18, 20, 25, 30 years invested in a young lady by her, her mother and you as a father. Uh, I think it's fair that we'd ask to have a little more time with him than we get rather than just squeaking out a statement at the wedding ceremony. Her mother and I do, you know, yeah. we give this woman.
2: Now how, what, uh, what effect do you think that has or has had on your daughters, knowing that their father took such an interest in their lives uh, and in the man that they were going to marry someday, knowing that their dad was always there with their best interest in mind?
3: Well, when I dated them, when they're little girls and we went out on an ice cream date, uh, ages four, five, six, seven, all the way through elementary, they loved it. They thought it was going to be cool that daddy would sit down and interview their date. But as they got a little older and peer pressure kind of got exerted, they weren't so sure about this. And uh, I didn't back down. I told them I would not embarrass them. But I'm convinced that the word got around school big time and it, it headed off a lot of undesirable characters that I, I, I didn't want to interview and want to have nothing to do with and I didn't want them to spend a a, a date with my daughter but uh, they would tell you today that they really did appreciate it. but there was a time in adolescence which if you think about it, I get it, you know sure, you're going to embarrass me, Dad. And yeah, I may, you know, a little bit, but you know what? I'm not going to rough him up. I'm just going to look him in the eye and talk about what the real stuff is here. We're not talking about patty cake, patty cake baker's man. We're talking about sexually transmitted diseases, unwed pregnancies. These things alter the lives of millions of people Human beings in our in our nation, and uh, for too long, those of us who are bear the responsibilities for guiding our families spiritually, morally, and sexually, for too long we've been absent, AWOL. And uh, yeah, I I, uh, I think it's time for men to step up and and make an impact.
2: I used to take my daughter on dates too. She was a major reader. So when she was really young, we used to go down to Spaghetti Factory, which was her favorite restaurant. And then uh, we lived in San Diego and we always go down to the beach and I'd read her Chronicles of Narnia. And, uh, you know, those are those times you'd never, you'll never forget. But when you, as you talk and as I talk about this, there's some guys who really miss the boat. I mean, some guys, their daughters are now 40, 50 years old or their daughters are 18 and they're completely, there's no relationship there. What would you say to those guys who they can't go back and date them as little girls and treat them with respect. What do they do now to, to repair those risks?
3: You know, Ken, that's a great question. Uh, because I get, I get asked it a lot when I share the illustration, cause it's sounding like I've got the perfect family going here. And I just want to say to the guys, uh, I can get a, a near perfect picture for a Christmas card, but that's as close as we get to perfection after taking 583 pictures <laughs> everybody's eyes open we're a very imperfect family with imperfect parents and and now we're grandparents uh, to 26 grandchildren wow. um uh, here's what i'd say to, to a guy you know the gospel of jesus christ is the gospel of the second chance when we were yet sinners christ died for us offered forgiveness of sin. And offer to take our hand in his and introduce us to our heavenly father and give us a spiritual ID, identity, and a purpose in life and a spiritual mission. And it begins the great adventure. I don't believe there, there are great adventures uh, in the truest sense of the word as the creator designed us to live that can be more adventurous than walking with Jesus Christ, the creator of all that we see. You're sitting in Steamboat, St- Steamboat Springs and looking out over that valley, the, the peaks, snow peaks and everything. You gotta believe in a creator. And, and uh, uh, I, I just think dads who failed, he'd admit it. And I, I, think, I think there's a lot of daughters. And for that matter, sons who are waiting for their dad to come and take them by the hand and say, I'm sorry. Boy, that's powerful. I wasn't there. I, I was. Uh, I didn't do my duty. Will you forgive me? And uh, I don't think it's just a flip of the switch deal. I think you may have to have a lot of conversations after that. But Why die a stranger from your kids? Why be estranged from your grandchildren? It's the payoff years. That's where I am right now. It's the payoff years. Still a struggle. Still, what's going on? I th- I just think, uh, Ken. I think men need they just need encouragement. You can do this. And anybody who has ever done their duty and been courageous knows that you're going to fail. And when you fail, what do you do? You get back up. You don't quit. You don't turn your your dad's license in and say, "Okay, I resign." <laughs> I'm sorry. That really doesn't that doesn't fit with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. He redeemed us to use us in the lives of our of our wives, our children, grandchildren, and uh, it's a great great privilege. It really is a great privilege.
2: Well, you know what you're talking about is about a serious swallowing of your pride, and that for so many men is such a crippling thing in their families, their relationships. You, you got to you gotta ask yourself, what's more important, me being the big man or me admitting to my daughter and my son, I screwed up, would you forgive me? I want to have a relationship with you because to our kids, we are the living example of what their perception of the Heavenly Father will be, be it for good or be it for bad. And boy, I take that, responsi- that responsibility pretty seriously with my kids.
3: Not too far from my office here is our kitchen. And when we were raising kids, they would all just be around that kitchen. Just, it was really a small kitchen. It's not a huge house. And, um, one, uh, one day Barbara and I were having a discussion that turned into a heated discussion. There's nothing physical took place, but there were angry words tossed about and some grenades pulled, so to speak, and hurtful statements made. And, uh, We were doing that and all of a sudden I realized that there were six sets of BDIs. They were like radar units. They were locked right on us. And um, it it harkened back to when I was a boy. Five years old, my mom and dad had an argument that was pretty intense, nothing physical, but as we can have in in marriage relationship, the disagreement or a misunderstanding and, and Now, this is. these were in the 1950s, mid-1950s. I remember shaking as a boy, wondering if my parents would get a divorce.
2: Really? You thought that even back then?
3: I thought that back then. And, Ken, I went to a small school, 44 in my graduating class in Ozark, Missouri. Only one classmate in those 12 years of school, only one classmate ended up coming from a divorced family. Uh, It was just, it was rare. It was not expected. Well, today, uh, I I keep trying to find this statistic. I haven't been able to find it, but I read it. I read it in a reliable place that when we go to a wedding today, 64% of us who sat out there witnessing the wedding are thinking, it'll never work. And the other 36% or whatever think maybe. Divorce is 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 expected today. It's 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 an exchange of problems. And I don't actually know. I don't know if anybody's actually done the research during COVID-19 to find out if the divorce rate really has gone up. I've heard both sides of that. But but I sure would understand if that's the case, because it's Groundhog Day over and over and over again with the same person in the same house. and my wife we've been married for 48 years and Kim she told me i need to get my rear out of the house and go to the office and it wasn't it wasn't a dangerous place to go but she just said i need my space and you need your space and it was healthy it was the thing to do so anyway i apologized back to that little scene in the kitchen i apologized to barbara and asked her to forgive me for losing my temper and then i turned to the kids and i said now you kids watching this here, you you know for sure your parents aren't perfect. But there's one thing I want to make sure you get. Your parents are teachable. If we make a mistake, we can be man enough or woman enough to humble ourselves and ask the other person to specifically forgive us. And um, those little radar units were just there. And I said, and your mom and I are not going anywhere we're committed to each other for a lifetime and that just seemed to let the air out of the and the tension out of the room Mm. I just think those are teachable moments not only in how to resolve conflict but also to assure children mom and dad are sticking with it they're going to school with kids who are from broken homes and trust me I was in the marriage and family work still in uh now for 46 years and uh you know, here's here's the deal. They're going to they're going to school with kids who come from broken homes, step families, left and right. And I understand why. I really do. 48 years is a lot of hard work. And Ken, you've been married 30. It's not a piece of cake, is it?
2: No. <laughs> No, I was going to say it was all sunshine and roses. I don't know what you're talking about.
3: Yeah, I just, we'll call your wife and we'll out. <laughs> We'll get her on this Zoom call. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I love what Chuck Swindoll says. He, he said it is at home among family members that life makes up its mind.
2: Mm, wow. I like that.
3: Yeah, I do too. I, I, I do too. I, you know, no family's perfect none.
2: You know, uh, Coach McCartney has a great quote on that. He says, the best thing that a man can do for his kids is to love their mother. That's a powerful statement, too.
3: They got to know that.
0: Today's episode is brought to you through the generosity of Waterstone. For nearly 40 years, Waterstone has assisted givers in supporting their favorite charities like Promise Keepers by crafting customized innovative giving solutions. Waterstone gift strategists stand ready to create your personalized charitable plan utilizing business interests, real estate, appreciated assets, charitable trusts, giving funds and more. These donor-specific giving strategies allow givers to bypass capital gains taxes, receive a fair market value charitable deduction, and have tax-free growth for years to come. Prioritize income, minimize taxes, and optimize your giving with Waterstone. Find out how to give and receive the most from your assets by visiting www.waterstone.org.
1: Promise Keepers is back, and we're relaunching the stadium events that brought millions of men to Christ. Join us this July at AT AT&T Stadium in Dallas, Texas, for a men's conference like no other. Strengthen your soul with unforgettable worship led by top Christian artists. Form friendships with brothers in Christ that last a lifetime, and discover new tools and strategies that will empower you to follow Jesus more faithfully. Be sure to get your tickets before they sell out or find a simulcast location near you. Visit www.promisekeepersevent.com for the latest information. We'll see you this summer.
2: What are the five secrets of marriage?
3: Well, it's five secrets every wife wants her husband to know. The first thing is, I believe wives want their husband's to know that they need to feel safe and secure in the relationship with their husband. Now, I can just imagine a man saying, what do you mean safe and secure? She knows I'm here, she knows she's got me. But I think there's a reason why we have this little thing on our fingers here called the wedding band. You know what's the most frequently found things in suitcases of lost luggage?
2: Really? Oh, boy.
3: It's come to mean virtually nothing. So a number of years ago, um, I went to a group in uh, Minneapolis, and I said, I want to design the very finest marriage covenant that has ever been designed where husbands and wives can sign it. The kids can witness it, and they can hang it in their house as a statement. It is until death do us part. And I don't have the one we designed, but I got one back here. You can likely see, and this is a handmade one here. This is this is our wedding covenant, and it was signed after we got married. And we had it signed by uh, a couple who were mentors of ours. Most of your audience would know who he is, but Dr. Howard Hendricks and his wife, Jean signed this. And, uh, you know, it's not even dated. That, oh, here's January 27, 1998. At my other office, uh, this my home office here. At my other office, I've got one of those ones we designed. And uh, uh, we've given away, I think, in excess of a quarter of a million marriage covenants. And we don't have time to get into stories around it, but... I think we have to find a way to restate and reaffirm that we're committed today. Our kids are watching, and they're far more insecure about this than we would ever, ever imagine. And if you don't mind, I'll share with you one other point under this about creating safety in your marriage, security. And by the way, what we're talking about here is Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 in 25, where it says, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one. And the, and they were both naked and not ashamed. So the concept is leaving the home you grew up in, cleaving, which is sticking like glue, it's a covenant, and then becoming one. And the becoming one, yes, is intercourse, but it's much bigger than that. It's becoming one in your mission in life, going through and passing on a legacy uh, to your kids. But if you want to put some nails to secure that frame that you got around your covenant, here's something I created not too long ago that I went through with Barbara. It's called Boundaries and and Precautions that I Take uh, for Our Relationship and I've got like, there's like 10 10 or 12 here, I don't know. I'm never in a car alone with a woman. Ken, I can tell you that in the last uh, 48 years, the two times I have been in a car alone with a woman who is not my wife, and uh, nothing happened, but I just don't put myself in that situation. I always try to copy Barbara when writing emails to women. Just put her on the CC. That does two things. It lets Barbara know I'm transparent, but it also lets the woman on the other end know that Barbara's seeing this. Uh, the only women I go out to lunch with is Barbara, my daughters, daughters-in-law, my granddaughters. I don't have lunch by myself with other women. Mm-mm. Can't 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 go there. It's not worth it. Find a way to meet some other way. I don't friend, like on Facebook, I don't friend a former female classmate. No. No need to do that. I always, when I hug friends, I do side hugs. Chris, now
2: you went to a school with only 44 people in your class, so there wasn't many to choose from.
3: There wasn't many. Was, <laughs> <laughs> they were great Great women and great young men, but uh, you're right. It wasn't a lot of people. So uh, not many not many uh, opportunities to mess up there. But uh, I always do side hooks. We're taking a picture. I try to keep, keep my hands off of her back, never on her waist. Try to put it on a man's, her husband's, if he's there, if she's in between us. Or not, not hug at all. Real quickly, the rest of them. If I have a meeting with a woman, blinds are open and the door is cracked open. I only have uh, kisses on cheeks of family members and very close friends. When I consistently struggle with lust, I tell Barbara. That creates safety. When taking a picture with a female or husband, my hand goes on his back, not hers. I never share personal struggles with other women. There are no perfect marriages. You're going to have struggles from time to time. You're going to go through seasons. And so you can't get into sharing that stuff with uh, with another woman.
2: And reminding everybody, you're talking right now about making your wife feel secure and safe and that you'll always be there. And these are some things, some visual things that you're saying a man can do. And a man may say, well, I don't. I don't struggle with this area or that area, but it's not always about that. It's even about the appearance. It's about the fact that we're witnesses to our Father in heaven and we would never want anyone to get the wrong idea. So whether you think you struggle or not, just having boundaries like that is just a good example for everybody.
3: It really is. And you did a good job summarizing it right there. Uh, I would add two more things under this point. Pray every day with your wife. Uh, I asked a guy in... When we have been married four months, I said, what's the best advice you can give me as a young man starting out in marriage? And he said, that's easy. Pray with your wife every day. So we started doing it that first year in Boulder, Colorado. And uh, um, I suppose in 48 years, now 48 and a half years of marriage, uh, there's not been 20 times that we haven't prayed together. Uh, We don't go to bed at odds with each other. We may... We may call a timeout and say, let's reschedule this argument for tomorrow morning and work this thing through. But we pray for one another and with one another. And it's not a long prayer, usually. We're exhausted, usually, raising six kids. Yeah. Um, then one last one I'd say, and by the way, if there's guys listening, you, you want to do something powerful in your wife's life spiritually, which is this next uh, this next point I'll make here in a moment. Just tell her, I want to pray every day with you. What's the best time for us to do that? And after you call 911 to Reviver, do it. And if you miss a night, do it again. Start start a fresh, you know, a fresh series of praying together every day. Last point I want to make here is this is a practical thing, men. That's go on a mission to find out what your wife's top three needs are today. Say uh, maybe this weekend, because you can't go out to eat maybe in your area of the country where you live. I'd like to get up early and maybe have coffee and talk with you, but I'd like you to share with me your top three needs in priority order. And maybe ask her to unpack one or two of them so you understand what she's talking about there. This practical little tool, I I feel like, uh, can dislodge major issues in our marriage and in uh, can move us to a place where we can truly serve our wives. And then write those down on a three-by-five card and put it up on your mirror where you get ready in the morning. Pray about it and look for ways to help her deal with those needs. Maybe cleaning the house. It may be with the kids. Discipline with one another, with one of those kids. uh may coming home on time when you said you would. A lot of ways that can show up. But if you want to live dangerously, ask your wife that question because it'll pay off.
2: I would add to that, ask her and then shut up. This is Leave your defensiveness at the door because be careful what you ask for because she just might tell you. (laughs) This is not a time to defend yourself. This is a time for you to listen, not try to solve the problem and empathize with her. And that's a hard thing for a lot of men to do is just shut their mouth and let their wife talk and just listen.
3: I couldn't agree more. Don't defend yourself if something comes up that you're feeling like you're a failure at. Listen, resist the urges, as Ken said, and just shut up. Zip your lips. We want to go to a second one, a second secret. Courageously care for her soul. Mm. I love to have uh, dinner with a group of men or couples, but I'll ask this question of a couple, but I love to ask men this question. Because men rubbing shoulders with other other men, as they answer this, this gives other men courage. But I ask this, what is the most courageous thing you've ever done in all your life? And, and they'll look at me and it's like, I've never done anything courageous. I said, that's not the answer. Courage is doing your duty in the face of fear. It doesn't mean you didn't have fear. In fact, most people who did courageous things just faced down the fear to be able to do it. And it's really interesting to see how answers break out, Ken. But one of the most oft-repeated answers is getting married. Wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. Getting married. Taking the responsibility of a woman and owning it as a man because they don't feel like they've been trained. And uh, there's a passage here that really equips men to to do this care for her soul in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. It says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does for the church. So our assignments to care for our wife's soul is to be a spiritual protector of our soul, which means guarding your wife from things that create fear in her life. Like movies, early in our marriage, I was having Barbara watch a a scary movie movie with me, and I finally found out, I heard her say, I can't watch these. I don't need to be watching. This troubles me as I sleep. So you find out what troubles her soul and you pray about it and you decide what what to do about it. But those two words, nourish and cherish, are really fascinating words. The first one, nourish, means to bring the right ingredients around your wife to cause her to grow spiritually. Ken, one of the things I regret I didn't do Uh, early in our marriage, we had six kids in 10 years. And um, that's a lot of kids, a lot of action. And for 28 years, we were full-time parents before the empty nest. I wish I would have encouraged my wife to get out and get uh, with some other women who had a Bible study or a retreat and regularly helped her put that in her schedule. I absolutely didn't do it. I didn't see it. That's a way to nourish her soul. Another way is for you to read the scripture to her. Mm. We're quiet times together in the morning or in the evening. One of the things I did that I just kind of stumbled into: I gave her a psalter, and I don't have it here on my desk; it's in the other room. But a psalter is it are all the psalms in just one leather-bound book with room to write. It's all the psalms. And I wish I could show you Barbara's soul, or I'd show you mine too, but it's got all these notes in the the margins. We shared this morning together, uh, or yesterday morning, we shared some things that we were getting out of a psalm we had read. Uh, It brought nourishment to her soul. Going to the right church can nourish her soul. The other word that is in Ephesians 5 is the word cherish, and that's to create value. Nourish causes growth. Cherish softens her. It helps her spirit be teachable. It's not a matter of of disciplining her, none of that kind of nonsense. It's a matter of of just making her soul be more receptive by praying for her. And if the guys want to go home tonight and really do something that's, that's really cool, when you go to bed tonight, grab your wife's hand and say, I want to pray for you. How can I pray for you? And then listen to what she says, like Ken said. And then grab her hand and say, Lord God, thank you for Barbara. Thank you for the load she's carrying with these six kids. And I go ahead and pray for what she told me to pray. It doesn't have to be a, a 45 minutes season of prayer. It can be 45 seconds. It's the idea of two stubborn, strong-willed people bending their wills before Almighty God. When you do that, God shows up. Mm. We've been praying together for 48 years. And I can say this, Ken, I do not think we would be married today if we not done that. Wow. We're, we're, we're pretty strong with each other. And uh, that has forced us to, to deal with our stuff. Not her stuff. My stuff and her deal with her stuff. That's the second one. One other thought, Ken, and you commented on this earlier. I I asked you about this. I said, you've been married 30 years, Ken, and I asked you, how many of those years uh, did you repeat your rookie season? And you said? 29. (laughs) (laughs) That
2: means I'm staying young.
3: Yeah, really, yeah, it does. Uh, It's okay to have one – it's okay to have one rookie season. It's not good to repeat it for thirty years or forty-eight years. You will make rookie mistakes later on in marriage, but but don't uh, don't keep making them. This this uh, next one three, and this will probably be it for our time today. I got this one from Barbara, loud and clear. Before I walked in here to walk <laughs> to, to join join you on this call, uh, it's one word. Our wives want to be understood. 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 And I put it this way she wants you to enroll yourself in, for me, the University of Barbara for the rest of my life. And after I've got my undergraduate degree, go after my master's and then my PhD, and after I've got that. My double PhD. But the point is, become a student of your wife in understanding her. Now, why is this so important? Well, Proverbs 24, and I think I need to read this passage. Uh, I don't hear often hear many sermons preached from Proverbs 24 as it talks about the husband's responsibility to love and lead his wife. But this is really a good one. Verses three and four, by wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it is established. And by knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Three words in there that men need to pay attention to. Number one is the word wisdom. Wisdom is godly skill in everyday living. Wisdom is taking the raw components of life and getting in this book. And we're living in some raw components today that demand that we have wisdom. How do we piece together what's happening in our country and what is our responsibility? Because I promise you, our responsibility is not to be a mob. It's not to burn things and throw rocks through uh, glass windows. Our responsibility is to bring forth the wisdom that is peaceable, pure, righteous, that uh, comes from from above, not human wisdom. But there's there's wisdom. Uh, then there's 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 understanding, which is what we're talking about here. Understanding our wives, and it it demands you ask questions. And it goes back to what Ken said earlier. Um, you need to zip your lips and ask more questions and listen longer and listen harder. And and then the last one is knowledge. And that's just applying the knowledge and, uh, knowing how to lead on the basis of what, you know, uh, a lot of guys know the right stuff, but they're not, they're not putting it into action. Like that wisdom, uh, that wisdom leadership that's talked about there in Proverbs four. Um, here's, here's, here's kind of my bottom line on this. We, uh, we stepped out of leadership of an organization called family life, uh, three years and, uh, a month and a half ago. And I went off of the radio, uh, the host of a daily radio program. I, uh, no longer led the ministry and I stepped off of, uh, a substantial boat and got in a dinghy, a life raft. Okay. With my wife and, I have to say, I was not prepared to know how to deal with the, the confinement of a much smaller vision. By the way, no one forced me to step down. I said uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, by the time I finished my 70th year on the planet, I want someone to replace me, someone who's younger, who can speak to the needs of marriages and family uh, in his day and his age. I don't want to hang on too long. I've seen too many leaders... Hang on with white knuckles until you have to pry their dead hands off the, the steering wheel, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to be one of those. God had done too many great things through family life uh, to do that. But I stepped out of it, and um, there's an adjustment to that. And the interesting thing is, I was not the only one who was adjusting. Barbara was adjusting. And we have, I'll tell you, we've taken these last three years, especially the last three months, to talk with a marriage counselor. And you may say, hold it, you write books on marriage. You're talking to a marriage counselor. Unashamedly. You know why? Because there is no man, no woman, no marriage that can't learn, even after they think they know it all. You need to learn and keep learning and applying wisdom. And there are members of the body of Christ who are excellent counselors, which we talk to and have sharpened our swords for the next season of our lives, our family and our ministry. And uh, this this man has has helped us really unpack what leadership cost my wife Mm. over a 47-year period of leading family life okay
2: you know i can um I can come at that from a different angle to support what you're saying is about 10 years ago or so someone said well ken back when i was a ceo of a large company you know you should get a business coach and i went business coach i've graduated from marine corps ocs and you know done the lapd thing i've been a ceo for over 20 years why would i need a business coach and i remember the guy saying to me well Peyton Manning has a passing coach and Tiger Woods has a putting coach. So maybe you could use a business coach. And I was like, Oh, (laughs) you know, because people bring different strengths and perspectives. And a lot of times we can be blind to our own selves because we've always lived with ourselves. We have little hangups, little things from wherever and whenever. And well, I found that business coach was unbelievable um, at expanding my horizons when I thought I knew everything. And so, I would say absolutely. The same thing goes with even in your seventies, getting marriage advice from someone who just comes with different kind of wisdom and training and perspective.
3: I'll tell you the seventies—I have never been here before. Mm. You know, who knows how to handle them? They're filled with losses: loss of eyesight, hearing, other things. Um, I'm
2: fighting my fifties are that way.
3: Yeah, sure. <laughs> loss of memory. One quick thing: th- this is worth. Worth the men who stayed with us all the way to the end, and this is barbarous. When it comes to sex and romance, men and women spell romance differently. Men spell romance S E X. Women spell romance R E L A T I O N S H I P. Relationship. relationship. What we have to learn as men is we have to learn to be skilled in knowing how to establish a relationship with our wives. And yes, there will be a, a chance to get together sexually and intimately and enjoy one another and celebrate our marriage. But we have to understand our wives and what they need. And I have to say that was one of the rookie seasons I repeated a number of years in our marriage where I have some things to learn. Barbara said this. She said, just because A plus B plus C equal D last night, or last weekend, such as flowers, taking her out to dinner, uh, a walk in the park, conversation equals sexual intimacy. Therefore, flowers, dinner, walk in the park will always equal romance and sex. And she said, women do not want to be figured out like that. We don't want to be reduced to an equation. We want you to try harder. So just so you know, I'm changing up what creates romance for me. You have to work a little harder at making it happen in uh, moving toward our fifth decade of marriage. And
2: it, does, it sounds like you just said, never stop pursuing your wife. That's what it sounds yeah. like you said to me.
3: Yeah. Dennis,
2: would you pray us out? Yeah. And thank you for this. It was just awesome.
3: My privilege, Ken. Heavenly Father, thank you for the legacy of Coach Mack and uh, the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of men who sat in stadiums, arenas, churches, small groups because of this man's vision. And now I thank you for Ken, who has stepped up and is getting leadership in some. Fresh ways for a a new generation. We pray for your favor upon him. And the men who uh, are listening and the men who will attend, I pray that you'd raise up uh, a battalion of men to come alongside him and help him spread spread this uh, message of the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, across the nation. Not in in a fire that destroys, but within a holy fire that refines and purifies. Our country is desperate for purification. Come and heal our land, Lord God. And use kin and promise keepers, we pray, to be a piece of that as we move forward. And may you keep all of us from evil, from temptation, and from sin. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening
2: to On the Edge podcast with Ken Harrison. For a lot of you, this is our first time meeting, and I want to tell the men listening about an organization I'm the current chairman of, Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers is an organization founded by Coach Bill McCartney that's led men across the world to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Promise Keepers is calling men back to courageous and bold servant leadership. To learn more and get involved in the mission of Promise Keepers, visit promisekeepers.org. Follow on social media or download the Promise Keepers app on Apple Store or Google Play by searching Promise Keepers. Through the Promise Keepers app, you'll receive access to devotionals, Bible studies, and other great articles and video content, and a community to build friendships, lead your family, and become transformative leaders. See you next time for On the Edge with Ken Harrison.